0: The SF Music Tech Summit, recorded live
1: by Media One Audio Visual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here. I'm very excited to uh, be part of this panel with uh, this elite group of people. Um, This panel is all about turning fans into guerrillas. It's about mobilizing, activating your fans for your bands, your brands, um, to be your foot soldiers. Uh, We just had a very interesting conversation. um, So I'm very excited to get going. Um, I'm Catherine Ennie. I am CEO and founder of Guerrilla Management. We manage artists. I've been doing this since the 90s. One of the first bands I managed and produced and recorded was a band called Caius that turned into Queens of Stone Age. Um, I worked at uh, record labels. I did publicity marketing. I started a company, one of the first guerrilla marketing companies called Ignition Marketing in the 90s, where we would actually mobilize our fans across the U.S. to do a lot of the um, street marketing, f- uh, flyering, postering. It was all pre- Facebook and social networking days. Um, I now have a management company that manages bands such as uh, Michael Franti and Spearhead, Australians Blue King Brown, locals Mr. Lovelace, and uh, Cajun country artist Amanda Shaw. So I'd like to introduce. Um, Just the folks on the panel, and give them a minute to explain what their companies are about, and then we could get going. So to my left, I've got Jeff M. (laughs) Because I can't pronounce your last name, he's with (laughs) with FanRank, which is an amazing company that I've just learned a lot about. And Um, let me let me do this. Let me go down the panel, introduce the name and titles, and then everybody else could kind of give their spiel. To my right, I have Aaron with The Collective. He's an amazing manager, and he will get into the many things that he does. And then we have Ethan with murmurs.com, and we have Jeff over there with, nope, nope, nope. We have Nate with Indaba, who I've been speaking to, and I think Greg is far right with Creative Allies. So we should start with you, maybe. Sure. Talk about FanRank.
2: So uh, I'm co-founder and CEO of FanRank. Uh, We are a Facebook application um, that is, uh, we're a social loyalty app. So essentially we're like a frequent flyer program for your fans. And uh, the way it works is you install our app on your uh, Facebook page, your artist's Facebook page. And uh, there's a fan leaderboard, and uh, fans earn points uh, for all the actions they take around your brand, like, you know, your band as a brand, rather. Oh, closer. Okay. And uh, so essentially the more your fans talk about you uh, on Facebook, and essentially the more really their friends react to what they say about you, the more they like and comment your, your status updates, and also on Twitter, like, the more uh, you tweet about, uh, the more your fans tweet about uh, your, uh, your band and the more their friends uh, retweet them, uh, the more points the fans get. And so uh, fans compete to be a top fan, and essentially, you know, we're rewarding fans for their actions on Facebook, on Twitter, but also, like, you know, if they've been listening to you for a long time, we take into account their last FM uh, scrabbling history. And um, the uh, the pages that use our app uh, then uh, can reward their fans uh, based on uh, you know whatever they want. There's like a daily leaderboard, a weekly leaderboard, a monthly leaderboard, and an all-time leaderboard. And uh, we launched um, three and a half months ago, almost four months ago. Uh, We're installed on 4,000 pages and uh, with a total reach of 110 or almost 110 uh, million fans. And uh, it's going really quick, so I'm excited to be here.
3: Aaron? Uh, my name's Aaron Ray. I'm a partner at The Collective. Uh, we're a management production company in Beverly Hills. There's about 70 of us. Um, I, uh, in, regards to, uh, uh, in regards to traditional media, we handle writers, actors, directors, uh, comedians, etc., etc. et cetera. But for the purposes of this conversation, we'll just talk about the music clients. And those are uh, Lincoln Park, Enrique Iglesias, Slash, Alanis Morissette, Counting Crows, um, uh, and several others. There are uh, about 100 million Facebook fans a day that we uh, monitor. 240 million views on uh, YouTube in regards to the channels that we represent uh, a month. Um, So um, uh, we have a pretty robust um, digital new media. Uh, initiative, and um, let's see, Big Boy, and um, we also own a a stake in several festivals.
1: And can I just bring one fun thing up, because I said I would. This is a whole other conference, but he also is, uh, I think, a founder of BloodyDisgusting.com. Horror. All things horror. (laughs)
3: That's true. The world's largest horror portal. (laughs) 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 million plus in the one. Yes.
1: Yes, Ethan
4: well, uh, I'm Ethan Kaplan I'm the uh, former SVP of Technology of Warner Music Group I left in February uh, Happy to have uh, And since I'm 16 <laughs> um, since, I'm six, since I was 16 I've run REM's officially, uh, uh, unofficially official Unofficial website, Murmurs.com um, Which I don't even know how much traffic it gets now Because I kind of run it out of habit um, But I've worked with the band for 16, almost 17 years now
1: Then we have uh, Nate with Indaba.
5: Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Nate Liu. I'm the vice president of partnerships at Indaba Music. And what we are is an online service for music creators. Um, we have over 600,000 musicians now who use our site to participate in a very active community where they can network with one another and connect with one another and critique one another and get feedback and kind of uh, grow musically. Um, we have a suite of online um, Music creation tools. Some musicians can actually create and manage studio quality music online. Uh, And then the third component to what we do is we connect our creative community um, to people who are, to to outside companies uh, who are looking to either stage marketing events or source content. So that could be, um, those partners are record labels, major brands. Uh, film studios, management companies, and so on, uh, who stage everything from remix contests to uh, jingle writing challenges. They'll tap into our community and have our users uh, create jingles.
0: Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that's kind of the core of what we do.
1: And Greg?
0: Hi, I'm Greg Lucas. I'm the co-founder and director of business development for Creative Allies, which is an online design community with 17,000 members and we host design contests for any sort of visual or graphic arts for bands to not only get great merch designs, but also to create fans. Um, We've done about 300 contests since we launched about 18 months ago uh, with the likes of the Beastie Boys, who just completed a poster contest, all the way to Feist, who did a poster contest for her DVD. Uh, We've worked with Thievery Corporation, Lollapalooza, South by Southwest, And we provide unique opportunities for fans to participate in the creative process with bands they love.
1: Thank you. Um, I think I wanted to start this panel by speaking to Ethan, who I called earlier one of the uh, godfathers of early social Mobilization, working with REM, and starting Murmurs.com like back in the like nineteen ninety six is it nineteen ninety six and this was pre social networking. This was pre uh, you know Facebook. And when I went onto the site, I found it really really interesting. It wasn't your typical fan site. It was like a forum. It was community building. It was people you know the fans just really engaging yeah. with each other and you know. I mean, they
4: run it themselves at this point, basically.
1: Pretty much, and then and then we talked about you know, um, do you find with um, the fan website? Do you find that uh, I know REM was um, very supportive of the of the site? Do you find with REM engaging with the fans and the band really recognizing fans to be a, an important component of just growing the fan base?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think we crossed a threshold. Um with the website in 1999 just to put it in perspective 1996 when i started the website i was in high school um dial up and uh there was no discussion board software that you can install there was no wordpress so fan sites were pretty limited to those like mr gadiel who's in the room in the back somewhere and i and others that had the boredom and the technology where for all to go and find a web host and do it um REM had no official website. The label had like a page and that was about it. So we were the de facto place. And, and about 99, when the band started a website, um, they reached out to me mostly because I was creating noise on like the other end of the internet and getting more attention than theirs. Um, and at that point, as the relationship kind of grew closer between my site and their site, and I started taking over aspects of theirs and giving up aspects of mine in favor of theirs, um, it certainly affected the way that the community. Uh, was treated uh, it, it strengthened their fan clubs actually it substantially grew their fan club numbers um, but it also had sort of a negative effect in terms of what we could and couldn't do on the website and we had to start towing different kinds of lines as the band got more and more involved especially after I started working at their label
1: We talked about um, earlier on about how important it is to be you know, acknowledged by the, the artists and also the public recognition aspect of it and Aaron I think he had some good things to say about that because it's really you know important to to recognize the fans actually fan rank could speak to this a lot just recognizing the fan the super fan the uber fan that's really like going out there and just doing a lot and um, yeah,
2: absolutely I mean like fans really go for the uh, the social status uh, that they get for being uh, being a super fan uh, you know the uh, the fact that uh, the app is on Facebook and that uh, you know, it doesn't get really much more official than uh, the, the, uh, the Facebook page for, uh, for the artist. And uh, it's something we were all talking about uh, earlier. I think one of the, the big drivers is uh, for fan engagement is recognition uh, from the artist and also from their, um, their peers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if uh, your friends can see that the band has said that you, know, you are an awesome fan and they've rewarded you in some way, um, that really goes a long way uh, for getting getting your fans in, engaged and activated.
1: Yeah, you, you 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 called it right, and you said it was a uh, you know bragging rights to be able to say you know I'm Lincoln Park's like number one fan, and and they they know that. Can um, can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, we talked about also specifically. I do want to bring up the um, contest that you had with Lincoln Park, where. Um, you had the English teacher in Poland that won the remix contest, and I thought that was so amazing because it's so far-reaching, you know, and so global. And um, okay, you know, i I'll, I'll start with that
3: one. <laughs> um, so during Lincoln Park's last uh, album cycle, they were uh, you know, they're on Warner uh, Warner Brothers Records and um, we were looking for a way to get fan engagement at an all-time high, and some remixes uh, had been done, and some of them had uh, had some notoriety on some of the blogs, but had never uh, really gone to, the, to what I call breaking the fourth wall, actually a multi platinum band creating music with their fans. So we took the stems of their single, The Catalyst, at the time, after they had recorded it before anyone had heard it, and uh, put them out there through Indaba, actually, in MySpace, um, and uh, said that whoever won was going to be put actually on the CD. It made a guarantee. Then, for legacy purposes, that was the Best Buy uh, CD, uh, not an additional track or whatever, but literally side by side. You could go walk in, look on the back, and see your name. So um, what happened was uh, was great. We uh, the um, people that, they could, that didn't qualify for the MySpace contest uh, that were in the Ndaba community uh, and that were not Linkin Park fans necessarily wanted to get some recognition, so there was a lot there. A lot of people just did it on YouTube, and we had millions and millions and millions of uh, remixes out there, and they're still being played and, and whatever. And Then the band unveiled its version, and then there was a lot of conversation around it, um, and that led us into being able to tell a story to radio which uh, still does drive a lot of uh, a lot of sales, so that was um, actually a really unique thing. Uh, I don't know that it could be done today because of the restrictions of the label, and at the time there was a lot of heavy-handedness going on to get that done. And with um, with what's going on today with 360-degree deals, um, uh, you know, it's. Uh, you're, you're basically you have a partner. Uh, I'll use that word. Um, that's the nicest word. You have a partner uh, for 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 life on basically everything that you um, you're involved with. Um, but I mean, traditionally, they're just supposed to be there for recorded music. So that part of the recorded music they have to clear. And uh, while they have 33 million fans on Facebook, that Warner has no claim to. That I could sell against, create avatars whatever it may be, uh, someone like the County Crows are, uh, is not on a label, and we can give away an avatar <clears throat> or give away the song. If you buy an avatar, we can go D to C. We could do 40 songs a year. We can do live chats, Google Hangout, uh, whatever it may be. And what we're seeing is uh, mobile and international taking over big time, and that is um, you know, just a general way to... Um, to, to um, get get fan engagement, mm-hmm. and then the second part of that uh, contest was when they were part uh, part of um, the Terminator 3 soundtrack. We used a company called Deviant Art, um, which is a community of artists, uh, to create uh, to remix the art and come up with their own art. And the winner was going to have the poster that would hang in Red Square. that played, and that goes back to your point about. What people want, and that is, you know, recognition by their peers, ultimately recognition by the artist, and way down the line is exclusive content and and, mm-hmm. and and leaderboards and stuff like that. And that's dropping even more, more and more as people go to where their friends are hanging out, which is social networks, which is what Jeff's company does, and. On you know all the companies up here, we're dealing you know with uh, Creative Allies for for another client and and Adaba for Stained and uh, you know so there there's you know anytime you can get the fan to interact on any part of
0: their uh their their, their culture, it's been very beneficial. Yeah, if I could just I, chime in. No, go ahead. In. Well, I was just going to say I think that there is a sea change occurring, and and it's great that this conference happens and a lot of the new technology companies in the music space are moving to engagement and participation as the key social role that bands can create for their fans. So obviously going to a live event and seeing a show is a social experience, but now online tools are popping up like Indaba, Creative Allies, and elsewhere where true engagement and participation, even down to – the commerce level where fans can make money and be a part of the, the ecosystem of a band's business by their own creativity are starting to spur uh, even more innovation and more tools and more social chatter and buzz about a band. So I think overall fans are now in the best position than ever before to really participate in the band's business and help the band build their brand whatever that becomes whether it's you know ancillary recordings or it's merchandise design or it's just the curatorial roles that fans can provide by letting their friends know about the music they listen to so i think there's a there's a really great moment for bands to leverage their fan bases
5: with within Daba in the past i think 18 months you know we have this section of our site that we call the opportunity marketplace which is where we connect the people who make music on our site with the people that need music, like like Lincoln Park and like all the other record labels and, and brands and so on that we work with. And we've we've had you know hundreds of opportunities in the past 18 months, and hundreds and hundreds of musicians have made you know a quarter million dollars from creating new content for these these various partners. And and you know, Lincoln Park, for example, when we worked with them, it was a two-week project, and 2,500 pieces of music were created on Indaba. Uh, One was released as the Best Buy exclusive, but that content, those 2,500 pieces of content, much which was really, really high quality, was distributed across the web and generated many, many millions of impressions and massive awareness as the band was trying to set up the record. And that content has a lifetime value far beyond the campaign. Um,
1: yeah that is what I think is is the goal is to be able to have the you know the fans that you mobilize and garner to last a lot longer than the campaign you know to really build that foundation in the in the base
3: well, There's there's definitely a generational shift going on and I think that there's a lot of people you know luckily I you know I have the opportunity to deal with bands that are, have uh, enormous fan bases um Lincoln Park's fan base was built over 10 years by a guy named Rob McDermott. I don't know if he's in the crowd or not. But anyway, did a great job with that. And at that that time, it was much more about Get organizing and getting the, the, the word out with flyers and street teams and all of that sort of stuff, now you're dealing with a generation of people that are you know, don't necessarily buy music, that, uh, that will buy other things, that uh, are worried about their phone bills, playing video games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, we are very, very, very bad at predicting things. No one predicted YouTube, no one predicted Foursquare, no one predicted uh, the rise of Facebook, no one predicted the App Store. So, Moving forward, we just have to engage the fans in any way we can and carry them along with us. So the fans that we had on MySpace, I've tried to transition them over, giving them and teasing them uh, with other alternatives to move them over to either earned or owned uh, media so that we can have their uh, email addresses ultimately go direct to consumer. But when you're trying to look at the chessboard for someone for a 20- or 30-year career – that's a, things are moving so fast that there's that's the only real doctrine that there is a there's an artist and there are fans. Mm-hmm. So right now I'd say the biggest battle is between who owns that fan and that is either the label, the merchandiser or the artist. And you have to look at, you know, the the way the artist can own it is to give them reasons to engage And give them reasons to talk about it. And it's a term they talk about in advertising on time, you know, word of mouth, it's very obvious. But that's what has to happen. There's no more off time. And how it's going to be monetized, you know, that's that's a real, real uh, question mark. And everybody tries to talk about how it's being monetized now, but whatever is happening now is not going to be around in six months.
4: Yeah, I mean, speaking to your point about there's no off time, back when I first started the site, and even until maybe four or five years ago, off time was filled by fans talking amongst themselves about the fact that they were fans. Whether it was about other bands, about the current events, about whatever they wanted to talk about, and they filled up their time. But as Facebook and other means of talking, Tumblr and Twitter, uh, have risen up, it needs to be consistent involvement from the band, which is really, really hard to get. Um, in order to consistently involve fans, or they just kind of disperse out, and then it's harder to get them back the next time. Um, it, it, it's a tough thing to get a band like a Lincoln Park or like an REM to to think twelve months out of the year because they want to shut off for eight of it. And uh, but it's it's absolutely necessary now, and it wasn't five years ago.
2: I, actually, if if I can jump in, it's actually one of the things that we're trying to we're trying to to help out with. Uh, with FanRank, essentially by creating a platform that's like a, a frequent flyer club, and essentially, you know, fans get rewarded for keeping the buzz going about the band, and the more of it, you know, just essentially keep on spreading the word. And the fact that they get rewarded with social status, even if the band isn't giving something away, uh, you can actually keep your fan uh, your fan base engaged, and uh, and essentially talking about the band um, even when the band doesn't have any real like activity going on. Uh, however, of course, it's much better if the, uh, the band has like, some kind of giveaway or something that they can, uh, that they can reward the fan with. Uh, but even in, even in downtime, you can use social status um, to reward fans with. And we just actually, just today, just launched uh, a new uh, badge platform where fans can earn like, little, you know just like Foursquare, but just badges for, uh, for their achievements uh, around the band, uh, which are rewards that are not given by the band, but that still have like, the same kind of effect.
3: The the issue that um, it, it's that's definitely true that people want to sort of have their high school locker like who has the coolest decal or who's the biggest fan. Uh, so the gamification process of any leaderboard um, uh, is is great and works on any platform. The problem with it is explaining to your client why they're not making money mm-hmm. and they're spending eight hours a day trying to go through these emails and 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 uh, uStream and. Creating apps and what about last month? He told me it was this, and I'm trying to twat and tweet and this and that, <laughs> and uh, no one cares. And you know, but um, so you know, that's that's you know, definitely an issue as far as really having trust with your client, and um, and, um, and explaining to them that they're they're aggregating fans that are going to eventually translate into some sort of commerce. The uh, other question?
1: Yeah, I think that's a fabulous point, and
0: feel free to shoot this question down. But it's just a question. Your point makes me wonder: Is there any way to maybe monetize that access without pissing the fans off?
3: There, there is, if there's value. And I'll just mm-hmm. give you my very experience across the urban uh, pop, Latino, rock, whatever experience. It all lies out. People join fan clubs. Uh, to have access to meet and greets, good seats, secondarily, they want public recognition by the artist. Third, they want re- public recognition by their by their peers, and way down is exclusive content right. and whatever and, so
4: and off the chart is features of web software yep, at this point
3: right, so there is the idea uh, that I had referenced before, but it 's going to be different. Foursquare will come out with the badge. You're going to find three of your friends inside the the um, Big Boy show. We actually did launch the first music badge with Big Boy at South by Southwest. Three of you get together, you get a a, a special shirt, okay? But it's going to cost you five dollars for the star or whatever it may be. And but you're instead of having an album, you you could be looking at releasing forty or fifty songs a year. And I could go do a deal. I'm not saying that. That they would do this, but go to to Zynga or Tencent over in China or places like that, and say, "Look, I'm just giving you. I'm looking to convert that one to three percent of your 100, 200 million uh, person base, and uh, for virtual uh, currency, I'm going to give the music away, but I'm going to sell the virtual avatar. And people that are hacking the the Kinect device, I can see it right now on PlayStation and stuff like that." where you're going to be able to carry your avatar from place to place, and people are going to want to personalize themselves. People talk about the social graph and the, the power of uh, the network effect. It's true, but in, worldwide, the power of the virtual graph and what they are online is becoming much, much more relevant, and people will pay for that.
0: Sure, yeah, and, and, and just you know, to, to echo Aaron's point, the, the reach that social networks give bands through their fans referring or participating in sharing information is so staggering, and it is contrary to the traditional economics of the marketing, where the more you spent, the more reach you would get. Mm -hmm. Now, the more viral your fans are and the more engaged they are, you can reach millions upon millions of impressions at no cost if you have a way to engage those fans. And that, to me, is the real story in the future, at least in the near term, of music technology online, is how and what are the platforms and how do fans participate more and how do bands start to see themselves as these aggregators of labor in terms of their fans spreading the word or purchasing some piece of content, whether it is an actual piece of music or it's a t-shirt or a coffee mug or a hat that somehow is branded with that band's image or curatorial decision that this is good enough for the Beastie Boys. Like right now, uh, just today, we got a, a Facebook voting tab up for six finalists from a Beastie Boys poster contest. And the amount of virality that is going on with their you know, two million Facebook followers commenting and liking the different poster designs, it's leading to it will be easily over a million impressions just on this one poster design contest at a very low cost to the label. So you know you compare that to hiring a publicist for thousands of dollars a month, and maybe some of the outlets will get broad reach. But how sticky is that, and, and how much will that be shared as comments and likes across fans and fans friends and friends of friends who like a design inspired by that band?
4: I'm just going to jump in on something this is coming as a former former major level executive, but the, the as you know we're talking about fan reach and and the dispersion through social and, and and political or you know personal networking, the worst thing you can almost do in terms of engaging that fan base and and keeping them active is actually release your record (laughs) So I mean that's I actually in just thinking about it here when I did the REM record this year It all stopped the day the record came out Because the band didn't want to work anymore because they had released the record the fans had already gotten all the lead-up We did a six-month lead-up to the record uh, the remix contest, the 12 videos, and this, and this actually happened, and I saw it, with, and I'm sure you've seen it too. So, you know, as Aaron's saying, 40, rec- 40 songs a year, you use them here, you use them here, you use them here. Don't release records, and actually, you lengthen the engagement you have because there's no distinct endpoint in terms of what you're trying to market against. You should be marketing against the brand, the band, the music, uh, and your fan base, not a shiny disc that's sold in best buy
3: and and just to point out one more point about that it's not my goal to actually sell records when i'm looking at at the uh, three-dimensional chess because most of the artists have been paid under their old contracts where there aren't enough physical cds for them to ever recoup Mm -hmm. so the record label isn't going to pay them The, the the goal is to acquire the fans so that we can figure out somehow, some way down, and, and you know the easy ones right now. People talk about touring and merch, but it's going to be much more digital. At some point, the uh, Madison Avenue companies are going to be coming in. Maybe it'll start with an energy drink, but you know, at some point, it will be Cheetos and it will be something like that. And they'll say, you know, hey, we'll pay you two dollars per Facebook fan. You know, but you know, maybe you're getting a forty million dollar check. Maybe the economics change a lot. But um, the, to Ethan's point, <laughs> the I, I don't. It's not that I don't care how many albums are sold, but that is not the end game for the fan. the The interaction has to go past that, and it was <laughs> it's built to culminate then, um, and that is a radical uh, uh, conflict with labels right now. I mean, this may, a, no, Oh, yeah.
2: Wait, actually, I just wanted to react just really quickly to. Uh, what Greg was saying earlier, because he was talking about the value of like generating all this buzz with this uh, the the Beastie Boys like uh, album covers, and I think it's like it's a prime example. You know, you can get your fans to do all this stuff for free, and it's actually will generate a lot of a lot of buzz just having having uh, Facebook activity. And I was just it just reminded me of you know we we ran a contest with Tiesto, where he the top fan got a, uh, a house party where Tiesto came and DJed at his house, and just with this contest I'm just looking at it right now. The uh, generated 22,000 posts.
3: Jeff's playing Angry Birds. So yeah. see it.
2: 100, <laughs> here it is. <laughs> 185,000 comments, 263,000 likes, 20,000 tweets, and 210,000 retweets. And that's all stuff that your fans will do for free uh, just by – if you're using, like, your social media like platform creatively.
1: Yeah, Actually, we'll, uh, just if we could hold the questions, because right. we'll have q and A Q&A at the end. We'll have ten minutes. Well, I just wanted to bring up two things, um, and then maybe we can start the Q and A, which is more interesting. But. I feel like we're talking about monetizing fans and that's that's pretty much it and that's the future because you know you you gain these impressions you gain these fans and what is the goal you know in the end because we all need to make a living we all need to sell things so um you know to me that's very interesting and another thing we talked about was um just I think Greg brought it up uh Uh, prize fatigue coming up with innovative ways of engaging and rewarding the fans you know um, I think Aaron you just mentioned or or, or actually it was Ethan just mentioned that you know just these uh, online giveaways that doesn't matter if people could speak to um, like what are some of the innovative ways of just really rewarding the fans I think that would be really important to get out there
3: i think uh indaba is a is a you know mm-hmm. you should step in here that's one thing that I've seen a lot of if you know i've scooted around and found a, a song or two I look at the uh comments and it seems like people listen to the songs there's some real uh recognition for for the 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 community there I don't want to do your job right. for you but
5: right right so um indaba has a very very active community of musicians and they use the site to make music and Musicians as a category are very passionate about making music and, you know, getting, uh, becoming a professional musician is one thing, but just being validated by by musicians is really important. Being You know, having people tell you that your work is quality is very, very meaningful because, for example... In the in the two week period that we uh, we did this campaign with Lincoln Park, and we've done this, you know, we've, we've repeated similar types of campaigns with with you know over 100 artists at this point across all four major labels. But they received 2,500 uh, submissions, and the average amount of time that a musician on Adava spends creating that piece of content is 12 hours. And uh, you know, you know, frankly, that was in the survey that was option E. It's probably a lot more like 20 hours or you know or 30 hours. They invest an enormous amount of time. Energy and emotions in creating this piece of content, and so, you know, to have, you know, to have Mike Shinoda from Lincoln Park tell you that he appreciates what you did, to have, uh, you know, Lincoln Park fans around the world discover your content, and to have bloggers that you look up to discover your content and share it with their community is incredibly validating, and it, you know, it's very meaningful for for creators.
0: Yeah, I think that the band's role or his, his or her social media strategists or management, community managers, whoever it is that's strategizing the way that this engagement with fans is happening, have to be creative in terms of the opportunities they provide to fans. I mean, as a platform, Creative Allies is now offering more opportunities for the allies, our designers, to make money and to be recognized so obviously premium membership and badges are part of that, but also taking images that maybe didn't win a contest and allowing those to be licensed by another band as stock imagery or enabling our, our best designers to enter our own agency or design farm that we're calling it where they get special opportunities that are not contested to the entire platform but are private curated contests that only involve five or ten at a time. Yeah, we do so the same thing. So how, how, how a band engages their fans outside of the music is just as important as making great music that connects with them. And, and I think that, again, bands are becoming, in a sense, brands that represent a lifestyle and just an emotional reaction from fans. And the band has to harness that energy and that passion to, to produce, not necessarily money, but to produce labor and action that's going to help move them along in, the, in their career. Both the band and the fan.
1: That's exciting for the bands, too, to see you know, um, ideas and concepts come out from the fans that they would never imagine.
5: It's, so. it's incredibly inspiring. I mean, Aaron, I think you could probably speak better to this than I could. But when we, when we worked with you um, throughout the campaign, it was, it was very, very clear that Mike Shinoda and the rest of the band were really, really buzzing with kind of just creative excitement as the, the program was going on because they were so thrilled that people were creatively engaging with them and creating new content and interacting with them in a way that wouldn't have even been possible when they were coming up and developing as musicians, and they found it really inspiring. And, and that was very you know, palpable. It was very clear in the messaging. And so I think that brings up uh, an important point that an authentic type of message where it's very clear that what the artist is saying is, you know, is real, that's the only way that fans are going to believe in you and do anything on your behalf. And so, you know, if Mike Shinoda says, this is something that I believe in and that you should pay attention to, you know, if he's someone that I admire and I look up to and whose opinion I trust
3: as a a tastemaker, you know, I'll, you know, I'll do whatever he says. But there's also, I mean, you know, we were talking about this before, about what you would do with up-and-coming bands now that don't have some of these fan bases. Escape the Fate is actually working with creative allies, and uh, we're excited about that, and I think that uh, that will start some um, s- some excitement, but really, YouTube is a is a huge huge tool for anybody. the 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 reaction shots of the band looking at the remix or when we skyped the winner had millions of views. I mean, that was the money shot. And if you people believe that they're actually the band is actually engaging with them and just sticking a camera in front of them, letting them know that it's real and putting it up, and the and you know, YouTube works you know for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's embeds, et cetera et cetera so the the easiest tool i would I would say in in, in having a pretty strong business in the YouTube world is uh, you know if you don't have a channel, i mean you're just you've got to get that done now, uh, and we'll we'll skip over the label politics on that right now
0: yeah, one, one, yeah one, one thing I would just say from from anecdotal evidence is that the the best way to get fans excited about one of our design contests is if the band films a 10, 20, 30 second thank you message announcing the winner. And it's amazing the feedback we get. And I think it really is because th- there is a genuine you know, vacuum or, or desire for fans to connect with, with their bands. I mean, they, they really want to make a personal connection there. And just like you, know, like you said, just seeing it on YouTube, low-fi like computer camera, A band talking about the design they chose and why they chose it gets the best reaction. So figuring out ways to get the bands to participate in any online promotion they do with some sort of wrap up video or even just a short text message that they write that that rewards the fan that, that won. It is huge incentive.
5: I think a professionally produced video would actually do you a disservice. Now, uh,
0: the
4: messier, the better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, the, the best technology that's ever come out for, for dealing with, when I dealt with R.E.M. or any other band I dealt with, which are hundreds over at Warner Brothers, was the iPhone 4. Yeah. Bar none the best technology that we ever had because, uh, best and worst, I should say, because it gave artists the flexibility to, if they're in the studio and they want to fuck around, they just, they start shooting. We had R.E.M. created, Michael Stipe created a hidden channel and shot five videos in the studio in New Orleans, and then texted me and a couple other people to just put it on put a Twitter link to the channel and It was all over the tabloid blogs and the and the music blogs by the end of the day, and it was just you know him screwing around in the studio, but they can create their own buzz that way, and they feel empowered to do so, and the messier the better, the more authentic the better. The fact that he registered the account outside of label control was very smart of him um, and you know and that authenticity is what really drives it. And
5: I, I think that brings up a, a really great point, which is there are kind of two ways to get fans to, to promote something on your behalf. You can ask them to do something for you, um, but you can also just optimize for them to promote for you at their, on their own volition, Just right? be
4: yourself and do it.
5: Yeah, and and, and and so one of the ways to optimize, like you're, they're not going to market on your behalf for you unless the content you provide them is of super high quality, right? That's, that's crucial high-quality content is the most efficient marketing, you know, resource that you have. So you need to provide them with really quality stuff, whether it's videos or whether it's music. Um, in, in the case of Indaba and create Creative Allies, you know, what, what we're able to do is create a lot of alternative pieces of content that can serve all the different niches amongst your fan base. I mean, Linkin Park has 35 million Facebook fans, right? Um, but they're not all just, you know, rock fans. There are probably a lot of people who are electronic music fans and house music fans that, you know, like a few songs. But if you can serve them a piece of content that really serves their interests while still within the guise of, you know, a Linkin Park piece of content, then you're, you know, super serving all the niches within, within your base and really optimizing to get all of them to share. Is
4: she open for
1: questions? Uh, yeah, let's uh, turn it over. I think, actually, Hello
4: first. Um, the composition of this panel without label representation is very interesting. And uh, I mean, you have bands that are on major labels, and you have bands who have chosen not to be on lab- major labels. Greg, you have a lot of experience with established bands who chosen not to be on major labels. Um, Wilco just went out and started their own label. Should a band that can make money on the road, th- does a major label bring them any value at all in this equation?
3: Here's here's the answer I get uh, from every quick time I talk to a lawyer is uh, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really does. Um, we, Ethan and I were just talking about it. Ethan, uh, you know, spent quite some time over at at Warner, and we worked uh, together on some of the stuff. And uh, the, the what has changed in the contract from when we worked together to what's going on now is radically different. So, you know, if you sit down and you say, I can provide my own marketing, I can't provide my own marketing, I can provide international distribution, I can't, I need seed financing, whatever. It really depends on, you know, what, what, you know, the concept of a label is, um, is, a, is, a, is a little simplified because there are companies out there that are merchandisers that will do the same thing to you and gouge and mm-hmm. whatever. But there is a place for labels, absolutely. But, you know, in uh, the, the and a large three hundred and sixty degree deal for a new artist for the for the major labels, I would say ninety percent of the time, no.
4: And I mean, for an established actor, a Wilco, a Pearl Jam, and RM and Radiohead, I, it, you know, it depends on how much work they want to do on, the, on their own. If they want to go to Red Light and or go to the Collective and and get some back end support. It it, it very much depends. You're not going to see REM or Wilco sign a 360 deal. It's not going to happen. They'll try to get a 180 or a 90, Um, like the White Stripes had a 180 with Warner Brothers. Uh, It it just depends. I mean, I I worked in a label for five years, so I'll defend labels in terms of what they did. Um, But it became a lot less about when you have a business that's 80% driven by sitting on a pile of CDs, which is 80% catalog business in a major label now, there's a lot less incentive to do new things. Uh, and if you saw the news last week about the promo staff at Warner Reprise and the, you know what's been happening at the other three, and potentially three only at some point, uh, it's going to be a lot harder to, to justify and you're going to have to set your expectations of what you get. You used to be able to walk into uh, 3300 Warner in Burbank. Uh, and get a suite of stuff, and that suite of stuff's going to get smaller, but their percentage of it is going to remain the same. Uh, so you got to set your expectations in terms of what you're going to get. It's affected the mix of
0: people at this conference. Mm-hmm. There's no label problem people here anymore. Well, well, I, I will. Well, I do want to come to the defense of labels that that we work with, and we we do have contest campaign. Relationships with all four major labels and a ton of indies as well as promoters, event promoters, management. But I will say that it really is a fundraising issue. The labels provide, in a sense, labor and funds for bands to promote and get out there and break. But it's at a great expense. You're selling your soul, if you will, But those labels still have great marketing people that do campaigns and hire creative allies to do big contests like Capital did for the Beastie Boys. But it really is the question of if you can find the money elsewhere, I think that you can control your destiny to a much greater degree. But if you're just going for it and you really don't think that you can self-finance or find a manager or a smaller label to put forward – the little amount necessary to go small and the big amount necessary to go big, it, it probably is best to keep in your own control your destiny.
4: Yeah, I mean, a label is
0: a VC with the worst terms known to man.
4: I mean, yeah. it's what you have to kind of evaluate it as. And so if you're a startup and you're shopping to VCs, there's various ways of structuring your VC deals and your preferred stock and every the whole term sheet, Fred Wilson-y blog type of stuff, right? Now, imagine Fred Wilson's education circumvented completely and flipped upside down. And that's what a major deal looks like. It's not a great thing because it's meant for a dissolvement to be a net zero, right? Which is not going to help anybody in the end. So um, it's expectation setting. That's what you got to do. Yeah, deal, deal terms aside, just one last
5: thing. You, you know, you, you don't necessarily need a record label, but you do need capital and you do need a team, right? Mm-hmm. Aaron, Aaron has that team. And, uh, you know, Aaron could find that capital, whether internally or from a from third party. Like, he, you know, there, there are people that can do that for you. And if you, if it's not a record label, but you have the capital and you have that team, you don't necessarily need to build that business on selling music. You can give away right. all and, the and music, the, And right? those
4: teams are in the collective, in Red Light, in Q Prime, yeah. in, in a, a Live Nation. So they're not necessarily in the big four. Right.
1: We have a question. Yeah, um, you're talking about fans as if the fans define themselves only by... their their being a fan of a particular artist. Um, But but historically, fans always defined themselves often as fans of a genre or
4: a style or a culture, and then they liked artists who were the best or were their favorites in that genre. How important is it to find fan communities that are fan-driven, that are fan-run, that are fan-defined, or genre-defined, and market your artists to those communities? I mean, Aaron, you can say... Well, it's,
3: it, it, uh... There's... In hip-hop, it's very important. In uh, metal, it's very important. And as you get down in both those genres into more specific, it gets more and more important. And who you're associated with, who you're blessed by, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And in those communities, they're known as, you know, it's for picking up opening acts, and, and exposing them to new audiences, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um but it's a, it really is about credibility if you are a metal fan you will not like you know the prefabricated version and if you are really into hip hop you're not going to like the prefabricated version that goes straight to pop um and if you're looking at a career those are those are really heavy you know decisions to make to take the money now or try to build your fan base but fans for um you know escape the fade or avenge sevenfold or um, you know, are also fans of Metallica and and, and stuff like that, and um, you know, it, 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 but they buy T-shirts, they play video games. You know, there's a lot of there's a there is a lifestyle there.
4: Yeah, I mean, we had a 1.6 band per... F- uh, user cross at Warner Brothers, which meant one, uh, every user account had an average of 1.6 websites associated with it, and they were always they always crossed on genre. But I don't think the culture of, of genre specific fanaticism and 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 validation from genre specific media is any different than it was in the 70s with z- with zines. Uh, and if you know Lester Bangs and Cream validated Patti Smith as being it, then Patti Smith was it. And or Bucket Full of Brains or whatever zine culture magazines you had in the early 80s. I mean, the early 80s post-punk community was completely defined through alternative media, and I don't think that's really changed much.
3: Yeah, that's a, just to point that, yeah, the, the concept of filter there works really well. So graying or or, or or the source or something like that.
1: question.
4: So we're in the business of a brand-specific influencer identification. Um, just a quick question. What, what platform do y'all think is... Uh, greater at spreading the message, Facebook or Twitter? Depends on the message you want to spread. Yeah. I mean, Twitter's a news feed, right? And a news feed with kind of a unidirectional feedback mechanism in terms of you can ignore it. Facebook is much more bidirectional and much more direct. And you're, you're, you're Facebook, you're delivering something to somebody's kitchen table. Twitter, it's to their doorstep.
3: Yeah, I, I look at them as uh, sort of a you know, fish and fowl, um, Especially if you're uh, Facebook which is just traditionally 70% outside the United States and Twitter you know you're dealing with a lot of uh, demographics that are English-speaking so uh, you're trying to sell tickets you you know you can do some stuff with Facebook but you're probably going to want to geo target uh, an area uh, but it yeah I, I, th- I think that you can't exclude one from the other that you know you, you got to both play them out they both have a plan See where it goes,
0: but 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 I do think that you know Facebook, again as a, as kind of this ecosystem where pages are now popping up and different features like Root music and fan rank are tools that bands can use embedded within their own Facebook page. It makes it much more viable for sharing content because again, when it's on Twitter, it's still going to be a link away. You're going to have to go one more step away to see an image or hear a piece of music. And, and I, I think that that last step is a barrier to kind of acquiring a new user. And all,
2: all, these, sure, uh, sure. all these platforms, anyway, where they're all kind of mixing in, because you'll notice that a lot of these apps, anyway, will, will tie in. I mean, you know, we, t- we tie in Twitter into your, your Facebook account uh, within the app. You know, so you, essentially, you're the fans of a, of a page or you know of an artist uh essentially we you know look at their facebook activity but then we'll also we'll also tie in their uh twitter activity and then we'll also tie in their last fm activity and you know soon we'll be able to tie in their foursquare activity and so on and so forth, so forth you know just constantly as like new networks pop up facebook is an easy way to just kind of aggregate uh everything and if you know if you're keeping track of all these platforms uh in one place um you know you can always if Facebook is not the next big thing, uh, I mean, you know, whatever comes after Facebook, I mean, you know, you could always just move it uh, over to the next platform as long as you're connected to all these uh, all these networks in the first place.
5: I think, just from my observations, Facebook is a more efficient direct marketing tool um, versus Twitter because Twitter, the just sheer amount of content being being distributed uh, in your feed is just too much. But that being said. If something is going to spread like wildfire on the web and it's going to be lightning in a bottle you're going to hear you know you're going to find out that it happened on twitter that yeah, just, I mean, from that's, the, that's from, from the opinion. press
4: perspective twitter you're 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 amplifying through press facebook you're amplifying through people I mean that's kind of a good an, an analog, but we've always found that when you best way to do a press release at this point is to tweet it because it'll get automatically picked up and syndicated by every press outlet, no no man.
1: I think we have time for one, one more question back I've got the mic. Fast forward five years later, right? Where do you see fan engagement, like the advancement in fan engagement? Just curious to hear your ideas on that.
0: I think I think that there will be a complete shift to a new structure of business where uh, we, can, we can call it social commerce, but where fans are directly cut in from a monetary standpoint when they help promote, create for, and otherwise participate in the band relationship. And it will be based on percentages where, I mean, even on Creative Allies, we have an online store where if an ally uploads a design the band wants to put in our store, then the band makes a percentage off the gross as well as the fan. So it's the first time that a fan can, in a sense, do an authorized poster design or t-shirt design that the band curates And actually, the fan makes money from it as well as the band. And I think that's going to trickle down to even your listening habits to where if you hear of a new band through Spotify or whatever it is that you're listening through, then the person that curated that or shared that with you will also get some sort of compensation for turning you on to it. I just want to point one thing out, just one
3: sentence or a couple, which is streaming services are already more important or more listened to than... uh, downloading services and once broadband really starts to reach its peak it's even going to get more and more uh accessible so your fans are going to be streaming instead of buying and you're going to be looking at a lot of technological changes and and stuff like that so i would say it it really it's so it, it moves so exponentially that you really can't predict but I would say you read this is why you need to take care of your fans now and just roll with it.
4: Right. I mean your fans are your users and if you look at any startup that's going to go and pitch for VC right now if you read like Dave McClure's you know startup metrics for pirates so the AARRR metrics about retention and viral coefficients and all that stuff. I mean that's pretty much where you got to go cuz you're building a brand which is your little startup. You're selling product, but you're selling product through immaterial ways in terms of access in terms of upsells. It's no different than any, if you go over to Disrupt, which is a mile and a half that way, and you go and Paul Graham's getting pitched right and left, and everybody's pitching and pitching, it's not much different in terms of how you're going to have to get to break even in profitability in terms of sustaining yourself as a, a man. And every label's got to do it. Cut your overhead. Be lean. Be agile. And be flexible. In terms of technological <laughs> shifts, it's obviously going mobile. It's obviously going streaming. And in five years' time, we'll be at the iPhone 10 yes. or whatever. Which, you know, and the iPhone 5 is going to have voice recognition, so typing is going to be a lot less important at some point. And and the the, the shifts that are going to happen technologically are a given uh, and could have, if you were smart, predicted them a while ago. But in, in terms of fan behavior, it hasn't changed since 1975, from what I've seen. That the methods of people engaging with acts, the methods of people engaging with fans, it's adapted to technology. Fundamentally, the concept of being a fan. And loving a band and going to every show and freaking out when you meet that lead singer that you just met and getting a backstage pass or whatever, that hasn't changed Mm -hmm. in a long, long time. And it's not going to change for a long, long, long time. It's just you got to adapt to the landscape that you exist in, not try to change what that is in order to fit into whatever's hip and cool now.
1: So true, a, so true. I think we have just one last comment from Jeff. Is all we yeah. have time for?
2: No, I was just going to say just to answer your, your question. You know, I think social commerce is like a very good, uh, very good point. I think the uh, beyond social commerce, like the real thing that that I believe in is social loyalty, and clearly, like the uh, you know more and more of what fans do for you becomes public and becomes visible. And uh, the, uh, there's a, it's very easy to, to keep track of your fans and what they're doing and be able to reward you for them. And more and more people are trying to do that. And I think if you start rewarding your fans for all the stuff that they do for you, um, I think social loyalty is, is where, it's,
5: where it's where it's at. Can I just yeah. say one last thing? Yes. Um, just as a corollary to what Ethan said, because I, I I totally agree with you, the, the analogy that in the future, artists are going to be operating more like startups. So, I mean, there's this notion in... Particularly, that's particularly present in like web businesses of um, kind of commoditizing the compliment. So giving away something entirely for free to support a much larger opportunity. And so that means giving away, frankly, music and giving fans choice so that they can support your business elsewhere increasingly by buying merch and touring and stuff like that. So I think that in the future, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll find more and more artists giving away their music to support the other lines of business.
1: All right, thank you very much, everybody. Big hand, big hand.